You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. As Christadelphians, we accept that the Bible is the Word of God, that it is inspired and contains from Genesis to Revelation a message that is complete and entire, authored by the creator of heaven and earth. And we accept that message and that within that message there's a purpose that God has with this earth. And that purpose is expressed in many different ways as we read through the pages of scripture. And the purpose of the talk tonight is to look at how that purpose is expressed in two different ways on those events that we looked at um, that have been read for us in Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 14 and also the parallel accounts. The reason that we want to do that is so that we can understand how, and, and this, is, this is a recurring approach to scripture, on so many occasions, a message or an event is recorded for us in more than one place. And it's important for us to understand how we open the scriptures and start to pull apart what exactly it is that God's teaching us because on the surface of what we've read there in Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew 14 accepting the fact that miracles take place they're really quite simple narratives and the first one we have the disciples recorded as being in the boat with Jesus and there's a terrible storm uh, and then Jesus calms the storm and in the second one the disciples are in the boat there's Again, difficult weather on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus comes walking on the water to them. And when we read it at that level, we can understand how the disciples in experiencing those events would have their faith increased. But there's a much deeper message that runs through which which provides for us, as I've already said, um, an expression of God's purpose that's being outworked with this earth, um, but represented in the events that are recorded in those two scenarios. Now, the first scenario focuses upon God's purpose, the, the macro generic purpose that he has with this earth. The second one focuses upon an individual's relationship with God and their journey to his kingdom. And so the, the purpose for the next half an hour or so is to, is to look at that. And it'll be largely done on the screen, um, with the first one that we're looking at based upon that first storm of the sea, which appears in three of the Gospels. It appears in the three what we call synoptic Gospels, Matthew 8, Mark 4 and Luke 8. And the fact of the matter is, is the way that God's designed his Bible, he's designed it to be read and meditated on, thought about and studied. And it's not possible for an individual to really start to understand what it is that God's really fully trying to communicate without putting some effort in. And so you can't fully understand what is being communicated on either of these two events as examples which occurs myriad times over in Scripture, focusing on different aspects of Scripture, unless we compare Scripture with Scripture. So Matthew 8, Mark 4 and Luke 8. Don't worry about the next slide. We're not going to focus on the detail of it. The reason that what I want to show... Um, with that is is for us to understand how we begin to piece this overall um, scenario together so what I've done for both for this for the, the color coding is that where there's gray shading there's 
a common point being made which occurs in all of the three scriptures. The Matthew account, the Mark account and the Luke account. Where there are the individual colours of yellow, green and blue, they are points that are unique to those passages. And it's by pulling the whole together, and it's not a difficult exercise, but pulling the whole together that we have a much fuller picture emerge than just, for example, reading the Matthew account. So I'll be piecing the scriptures together on the screen. Follow it as much as you want to with, with the Bibles on your laps. Um, but we'll see a, a powerful picture emerging. Now, the first one is much more sim it's much simpler than the second. The second is, is more intricate and involved and is where we'll spend the majority of the time. But the first will, will help set the scene for us. So there's, there's a satellite image of the Sea of Galilee, that lovely sort of harp or heart-shape um, lake, which at its widest part is, is around about nine miles uh, across. And this is where the disciples of Jesus spent, for many of them, the majority of their time, because that's where they worked. And so this was a place that they knew extremely well. And as is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 8, Mark 4 and Luke 8, they're about to get on their boat and get uh, sailing across the Sea of Galilee. And they're broadly, we're not given the specifics in this one, but we are in the second, they're broadly taking a journey, something like that. So we think about this, not just in what's recorded for us, but, but what God's purpose is, what's happening with regards to the development of God's purpose. So the first point that we're told in Mark chapter 4 and verse 36 is that the multitude have been sent away. So a whole group of people, disciples about to get on the boat, we'll see they're not alone, but a whole multitude is sent away. So this starts with a picture of separation, just as the Bible starts with separation in Genesis chapter 1. And that's fundamental principle to God's purpose, that people are called out to an understanding of his purpose. And so not everybody is going to be part of what we're reading that's going to take place. Because if you want to think of the Sea of Galilee in, this, in, in these scenarios as the world, it, it's talking about what's taking place on, on planet Earth at that level. That's what's been shown. So a multitude is sent away. And Jesus, in this account, gets into the ship and his disciples follow him. So Jesus and the disciples, Jesus leading the way, the disciples following him in answering that call. And then there's a destination that's pronounced in Luke chapter 8. So when, when they're on the ship and they're all together, there's the command that goes forth, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So there's an understanding of a destination. So these people who aren't part of the multitude that have been sent away, as they're in this ship with Jesus, they know that they're going over to the other side of the lake. They're not going to go into the middle and do some fishing and then return or, or go around the, the, the edge of the lake. They're going to the other side of the lake. And so there's, there's clarity as to the destination. And in scripture, we're clear about a kingdom of God that is coming where the capital will be centred in Jerusalem. And we note that they're not alone. 
So the disciples follow Christ. Now they're first, and historically, this is what's been presented to us. Jesus is first presented to us in the scriptures, not by name, but in the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 15, that there would be a solution to the problem, the challenge that exists in the world, which is sin. And until that problem is fully resolved, then this world is under a condemned state. It's a condemned phase. And it, and it can't prosper, and it's subject to sin, disease, death, all the rest that we see in the world around us. But there aren't just the disciples. There are all of these other little ships. There are all of these other believers that throughout the history of time, God has called to be part and parcel of his purpose. They've listened to the message. They've accepted it, and they're in the ship. So, so figuratively speaking, they are part of what the scripture would term as the body of Christ. That they're all one in Christ Jesus, in their separate vessels, but they're all there leaving and they're heading to the other side of the lake. And of course, scripture is very clear to say that not everybody's involved in God's purpose. People have free will that they exercise and not, everybody's, not everybody is aware of God's purpose because of the way it's been handled from generation to generation. And not everybody will accept it. So I've got a quote there from Daniel chapter 12 that many sleep in the dust of the earth not everyone because the bible will say that those that do not sleep perish they, they die forever once their life's over but all these in the ships they, they share this common experience at the end of their life and then as they're traveling across the sea of galilee jesus falls asleep silent in their midst and throughout the history of time for the last 2,000 years as, as this journey has been taken by all those that have followed Christ, having figuratively entered into the ships to follow him, they have this word, silent, in their midst. Jesus was the bodily reality of this word. This word was brought to life in him, his life, his personage. And, and, and here it is with us today, and it's silent, and we, we can make use of that as we wish. But as a resource, it's there in the ship with them. It never leaves us. And as this journey is taken, there arises a great tempest in the sea. Now, the Bible talks a lot about the use of sea and waves and water and the impact of these with their restlessness with 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 the waves that roar it speaks about a time where there isn't peace where there isn't calm and here we're dramatically shown something that prophetically will happen which in the book of revelation is described as an earthquake a political earthquake here we have an earthquake in the sea of galilee and the word for tempest in the greek there literally means earthquake it's translated elsewhere as earthquake and so as this tsunami erupts uh, in this relatively small sea we can imagine understand that the impact on the boat is significant the, the boat's not going to be able to survive in these conditions and it talks about the conditions of the world that we see throughout history where there are significant challenges but also as it builds to what will be a climactic event when Jesus Christ is unveiled in this earth because the Bible speaks about his two appearances the first which was 2,000 years ago 
And the second, as we read in the scriptures, when every eye shall see him and he will be unveiled upon the earth. And so the disciples, they're in this boat. All the disciples in their ships are in their boats. The word of God is in their midst and there are these, there is this terrific situation which strikes terror and fear. There's no peace for the world in this state that we're in and the waves beat into the ship. It's now full and it's beginning to sink. And it tells the story of humankind's travail in this age and we too are bound in the situation of this life. We are caught up in the society of the day in which we live and, and it's sinking. It's not something that's going to persist. It's not sustainable. And the problem is an overwhelming one. I've got on the, the header there that, that it is sin, but, it, but it's, it's bringing this down. The, the consequences of sin's flesh means that there are trouble, there's, there's trouble that results in risk to loss of life. Now, there's risk to loss of life for those that are not part of this because... They're part of the multitude of the sent away and have nothing to do with this. But for the disciples themselves who are in the ship, who have got the word of Christ in their midst, they also are in jeopardy because at each epoch in the scriptures where we have something significant happening, many of them are found wanting in their response. Many of them are found not having enough oil in their lamps or they don't heed the call or they look back at what they are leaving, spiritually speaking. And so this is talking about the fact that the people of God are in jeopardy. And Jesus is there, fast asleep, on a pillow. And, and, and an earthquake has, has erupted and taken place, and it's, it's showing us that Jesus will not respond until that specific time when God has placed on record that there is a time when Jesus will return. And the cry from those that follow these things, because of the difficulties of life and the challenges that we're confronted with, is as many people over the centuries have asked of God, do you not care? Do you not care that, that, that we perish? That there's no way out of this problem, of this challenge? What is it we're supposed to do? And in the context of the reality of these events unfolding, in a twofold sense, Jesus arose. He was raised from the dead, and he will also rise as the sun with healing in his beams, as we read about in Malachi. And as this resurrected Christ who destroyed sin, and this resurrected Christ who overcomes um, and, and implements the next phase of God's plan and purpose with this earth, with the institution of his kingdom, he has complete control over all of the elements. And this is drawn to our attention in many different ways throughout the scriptures of what will be the capability and the capacity of the Lord Christ who will be king in this earth. And so he will be able to rebuke the winds and the sea. 
And we've got a quote there from Psalm 2, but the nations of this earth, they will kiss the sun lest he be angry. And Psalm 2 is all about this particular scenario at this moment um, when the nations of the earth will seek to rise up against Christ and, and he will dismiss them with his fury. And the winds and the sea will be rebuked. And he will be able to cause that wonderful peace and Revelation chapter 14, the preaching of the heavenly gospel shall go forth throughout this earth and there'll be a great calm. There'll be a great calm like glass where the water is no longer tossed to and fro because of the tumultitude of sin. And when these things come to pass, there'll be that reflection for the saints, for those that have followed God. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And so the point that's been made to us here with this particular regard is there might be terrific storms. There might be tremendous challenges that we feel uncomfortable about, that we're not happy with, and that we've got to strive against. But the scriptural message and import is that without faith it's impossible to please God. And then there will be acclamation about Jesus, the Son of God. Um, For unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful. So that first um, scenario on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and the disciples gives an overarching view of of what it is that God's going to outwork on this earth. As I've said, the second one is much more um, detailed and specific, and we'll have a look at that now. So Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 6. Now, you'll see by looking at this here, you'll see that it hangs together by some consistent wording, but the differences are far greater. And so there's much more to do in terms of understanding And to get the full picture, you just frankly can't at all by just reading one of the accounts. They have to be brought together to understand the actual message. And this is the journey of a disciple. So for anybody that's not yet baptised, this is the journey that we take. So we can be very specific this time. They start in Bethsaida. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. And Bethsaida means fishing or the house of fish. And it was at that place, and disciples are from there, to whom Jesus said, you will be fishers of men. Fish for the people. And so the people were fished. Disciples were fished and they were caught. And they are going to travel to Capernaum. And at Capernaum, which means comforted by being sorry or repentance, These people are going to take a journey from being fished and caught by the gospel message and they will end up at a destination where there is true repentance. They will be comforted by being sorry through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ where their sins are forgiven and washed away forever. So we notice at the start of this that unlike the Matthew 8 account, we're told in Mark 6 verse 45, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship. So these are individuals that have been fished and they've accepted the call and they've been baptised. 
and they're made to go into the boat. He's not giving them an option. You get in that boat. And they are going to go to the other side, to Capernaum, without Jesus. He's not in the boat with them. They are travelling alone. And whilst we have the word in our midst with us, of course, Jesus, after his first advent, he was raised up from the Mount of Olives to be at the right-hand side of his Father in heaven. He's our high priest and mediator. He intercedes on our behalf. And so we find again that there's separation. These people have been clearly called. They've been baptised. Jesus has made them get into the boat. They're all in the ark together, the, the house together, however we want to think about it. But these people experience a fellowship and a grouping together which separates them and distinguishes them from all of the other people in the world. And so Jesus, we notice this time in Mark 6, verse 45, Jesus constrains his disciples to get into the ship and Jesus sends all the other people away. They have not responded to the message that's been sent forth. And so the disciples make their journey on their boat from this house of fish to this end destination of, of repentance, of consolation at Capernaum, whilst Jesus himself ascends up a mountain. And whilst Jesus is up on that mountain, he is going to pray. And that's Jesus' role now, as our high priest and mediator, as I've already said. He prays, he intercedes on our behalf, and all those that follow him, they have him not with them in the boat, but they know that and believe that he is there, interceding on their behalf, up on high. And scripture is very clear to draw to our attention, Mark 6, verse 46, that Jesus is alone on the land. Gospel of John, chapter 3. No man has ascended up to heaven except Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is alone in this space with his heavenly Father, interceding on all those behalf who have accepted him through their understanding of the Bible and the waters of baptism and confession of faith. And so the disciples are making this journey whilst he is separate from them on the land. But we notice after a while that the, the point, so if, if we're looking, you know, the journey there that they're taking might be around sort of seven mile. And even was come. And, and the bulk of what is going to take place will take place in the darkness of the night. The darkness of this Egyptian night in which we live, the darkness of this world, because people love darkness more than they loved light, as John tells us in his Gospel. And, and that, that darkness, that, that territory and that, 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 that phase and setting for where we live out our lives provides all of these challenges for all of us individually. Not one of us has a smooth path in life, not, not one. We are all frail and we are all subject to difficulty. But what, what the Lord is going to seek from all those that he's constrained to get into the boat is how do they cope when the difficult times come or the times come that are really problematic to them. We get to the point 
that at this time the ship is in the middle of the sea. So like many of us in life, when we've accepted that call and we're in the ship and we've made that journey and we take on the responsibilities of life and life builds as it does, it gets to a point where you can't easily turn back. They're in the middle of the sea. They can keep pressing towards the place where there's true repentance or they can head back from where they've come from but neither are easy. They are in the middle of this thing. And they've rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, so they're just over halfway through this journey. We're confirmed it's now dark. And crucially, we're told in John chapter 6 and verse 17, that while this people are making this journey, that Jesus had made them get into the ship, that all of these people in the dark have been waiting for Jesus to come to them. There's an expectation that Jesus will return. But they haven't seen it yet, and it's starting to have an impact with the duration of the time that they're waiting and the challenge of the life that they're living. Because as Jesus is there at the right hand of his Father, and as he looks down from this mountain, and he's alone on the land and he's praying, he observes his disciples, and he sees them toiling in rowing. He sees that they're slow in their progress. He sees that they're finding it hard. And even though he does pray and he intercedes on our behalf, he sees that they have a significant problem. And it's significant because the wind was contrary. They're rowing into a headwind. And the wind is, is completely stultifying their progress that they might even be slipping backwards, closer back to Bethsaida. And the challenges of life which do weigh us down and which can cause us significant problems, they have this impact on us. They stop the forward motion, they stop the growth and the development and they stop the peaceable fruit of righteousness from, so, from more easily emanating in our ways. It all becomes very difficult and challenging. And then we read in about... Matthew says in, Mark says about, the fourth watch of the night. We think about this in the context of God's purpose. The fourth watch of the Roman night was between 3am to 6am. So they've been rowing all through the night. This difficult, tough journey... And it's now coming to the time when, scripturally speaking, Jesus will return for the new day. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over 
and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.